Let's pray. You are the creator of all things. We thank you for a beautiful day like today, days when we can walk around and watch the clouds move, we could feel the wind, and see the trees changing color. Thank you that we are reminded, though, that seasons can change, but you never change. You are a faithful and almighty God. And we thank you that as a college community, we can gather together for a week of 24-7 prayer. We thank you that we had people who signed up to pray around the clock for this college, for this city, for the churches of this city, for our world, for each other. We thank you, God, that we have the privilege of gathering together in prayer and in worship without threat or without uh, worrying that someone will find out and will persecute us. We thank you that we can play, pray boldly on this campus and that we want to be known as a praying campus. And so God, continue to raise up young men and women who love you and adore you and want to pray to you and know your heart and listen to you. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that as we gather and worship times like this, that we will not only speak to you in our praise, but we will hear you through song, through scripture, through prayer, through sermon. We pray that our relationship with you will be one in which we converse back and forth, in which we pour out our hearts and listen to your words of comfort or challenge or conviction. Lord, make each of us praying people and a praying campus. And Lord, we pray today for the Peckelder family, and we thank you for the life of Peck. We thank you for how many lives he touched for you, how he was a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how he reminded students again and again of their core identity as followers of Jesus. And we pray for his family as they mourn his loss, surround them with your comfort and peace. And we thank you for the joy of resurrection, which we can all anticipate and give them that hope today. And Lord, we pray for others who are mourning. We know of students who've lost grandparents. We know of too many students who've lost siblings this summer and already this fall. These deep griefs that we collect over life are hard and they weigh us down. And so this week, as we look at blessed are those who mourn in chapel on Monday and Tuesday in particular, we pray that those who are grieving will be reminded of the comfort that they have in you and the comfort of a real relationship where they can pour out their hearts, where they can grieve boldly because you have asked to hear what's on our hearts. And Lord, we pray for our community too as uh, the workloads are increasing and we're beginning to have those first tests and becoming very aware of the demands of our scholarly work. So Lord, help us to be good students. Help us to get good sleep. Help us to do our homework and pay attention and honor our professors. This is our calling. Help us to do it well and wisely. And Lord, we thank you for our Bible studies and we ask a blessing on them in the name of Jesus that as we gather around your word in groups all over this campus and across this city and even across this world, that you will be present, that you will teach us, that you will shape our hearts and minds so that we become more and more like Jesus Christ. And so we do pray, Holy Spirit, that we will listen well. And now as we turn to your word, we pray that you will come among us, 
and take these words of Jesus and help them to open up our hearts wide to what you want to do in us. And we pray this through Jesus' name and all God's people say, amen. So we've been doing a series on Sermon on the Mount, yes, very good, which can be found in the Gospel of, very good, the Gospel of Matthew, page 786, page 786 we're looking at today. Seven eighty-six in a few Bibles. Should be some around you, somewhere. Today we're going to read uh, verses seventeen through thirty-two. Now, verses seventeen through twenty, if you're looking in the pew Bibles, are a section that kind of heads up everything that's coming after it. And the three that we're going to look at tonight—anger, adultery, and divorce—are all the intimate relationships. Oath, retaliation, love for enemies are more wide. All right? And then it again turns toward your relationship with God, with almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. So that's kind of the, where we're going. But the, the law and the prophet section pertains to everything that follows after it. So you can kind of see what Jesus is doing. Remember, he called us out and blessed us. You remember that? And then he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And now he's saying, this is what that looks like. If you're going to be salt, if you're going to be light, this is what it looks like. So here we go. Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them, and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard it said to those in ancient times, you should not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you won't get out till you pay the last penny. You've heard that it said, you shall not commit adultery. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go to hell. It was also said... Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. 
do not like my wire like that. That is bothersome to me. Here we go. Jesus never had to worry about his wires. Just throwing that out. So throughout time, when people have read this particular passage of Scripture and they've meditated on it and poured over it, they've come to the conclusion, Jesus probably didn't mean all that. <laughs> he probably wasn't serious at all. I mean, he was probably like, you know, going way out, like really exaggerating to make his point. I mean, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Is he serious? No, he can't be. He can't be. Because those scribes and those Pharisees, they were crazy. They were crazy about righteousness. 613 commandments are in the law. And by law, we mean Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 613 different ways to obey, to be a good Jew. And the Pharisees wanted to follow every last one of them. So out, outside my house, I have a pot, and in that pot I am growing basil. And a Pharisee would tell me, Mary, you have to harvest your basil and you have to give 10% of your basil to the church, which I'm sure my pastor would be thrilled with. Pesto. So, so the Pharisee said, it's not just enough if you say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give 10% of my income to the church or I'll give 11% of my wheat crop so that I don't have to mess with tithing all of my herbs and mints and stuff. And the Pharisee said, no, 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 uh-uh. 10% of the basil. That's their kind of righteousness, like every little bit. And Jesus says to his disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds that kind of crazy, you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so it's very tempting for us to go, well, I can't be serious because we can't do that. He, he just can't be serious. Right? He can't be serious. Well, let's look at these three things. Let's look at anger, and let's look at lust, and let's look at divorce and remarriage, and think what he was talking about. So when he's talking about anger, what Jesus is talking about here is not the flash of anger that you get when you see a little kid get beat up by an older kid. He's not talking about the sense of righteous indignation that we get when we are experiencing a semester abroad and we see people who are oppressed by the systems of government in the place. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about the kind of anger he himself displayed a few chapters later when he drove the money changers from the temple. He's talking about the kind of anger that we accumulate over time that we like to hold on to. The hurts that we like to remember. He's talking about the times when we go through life and we begin to just pick up anger rocks. This is for my kindergarten teacher who put me out in the hall that one time and the students laughed at me. This is for my coach who didn't start me when I was in fifth grade. This is for my roommate who always leaves his wet towel on wood furniture. This is for that professor who still doesn't know my name after three classes. This is for my mom. She knows why. <laughs> and we get to the point where we got all these rocks. You think, oh, I need a bucket. And we go through life and we collect these things. Here's another thing that really ticked me off, and that guy in traffic. 
and that rude guy at the gym who wouldn't let me on the stair stepper even though he'd been on already for 30 minutes. And we go through and we collect, and we collect, and we go through and we keep collecting, and we say, look at my rock. And someone says, you know how I was hurt? And you're like, no, look at my rock. <laughs> Have you seen my rock collection? I got a collection of rocks. Look at this. Look at all these people. Here you go. There's your name tag. <laughs> all these things have collected over time. And so the letter of the law says, Jesus, I haven't chucked the rock at anybody. I haven't killed anybody. I did not murder. I thought about it, but I did not murder. I'm just collecting my rocks. And I like to polish them. They're beautiful rocks. And we go through life and we collect these hurts. And because we've collected the hurts that have been done to us and we collect these anger and we nurse them and we polish them, we, it's very easy for us to find contempt for other people because we feel contempt for ourselves. And so we say things like, oh, you're such an idiot. That guy's such a tool. Oh, that girl's in my class. She's just not all there. And we collect these rocks and we polish them and we pile on. And we say, have you seen this rock? Let me tell you the story about this rock. Let me tell you about the time. This person hurt me. Let me tell you, I still get angry. Tell them the story. And we collect the rocks. And then Jesus starts to talk about lust. And when he talks about lust, he's talking about the lingering gaze. The second look, it's the... That's what he's talking about, all right? He's talking about the things like uh, when, when you look up and you go, is that? Nope, but it's fine. <laughs> That's what he's talking about. And again, we go through and we pick up rocks. Oh, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. Victoria's Secret Catalog. Oh, Fifty Shades of Grey, the trilogy. All three big, ugly, ugly rocks. Yeah, don't read that. Don't read that crap. Can I just say that as your pastor? Let's guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and not read that crap. Thank you very much. <laughs> Pornography. Every time you go back to the site, every time you look again, another rock in your bucket. And it can be as innocent as cheering and catcalling at Thor in the Avengers movie or Captain America or the poster you have in your room. You know the poster. And we collect the rocks and the bucket gets heavy. But we say, I have not committed adultery. I have not had sex with anyone that I am not married to. I am keeping the letter of the law, Jesus. My arms are getting tired. But I have not killed anybody. I have not committed adultery. Just got my rocks. And then Jesus starts to talk about divorce. And in his context, to the people he was talking to, this was a big deal. This was a current 
debate. Deuteronomy 24 verse 1 said, says that if you find some, any indecency in your wife, you can divorce her. Any indecency. And so there was one rabbi who put the emphasis on the word any. Any indecency. Everything in the spectrum from um, something really serious like she can't bear children all the way to she burned the food last night. Any indecency, wow, is right. I wish it wasn't, but it's true. Yes, 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 wow. And so women in this society were treated like they were disposable. In fact, the reason, he says, Moses gave you the law that you had to get a certificate of divorce is because men were just leaving. They're like, oh my goodness, she made the porridge again. I'm out of here. There was just no commitment. There was no sense that you, that you stayed with a person for a long time. And it was very much like, well, if she's not meeting my needs, if, if things aren't working out, then I just have the opportunity to go. And he says, uh, no, no. He put the emphasis on indecency, as another rabbi did, a less popular rabbi of the day, who said, no, 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 it has to do with sex, it has to do with infidelity, that's the only reason why. It's not any indecency, it's any indecency. That's the emphasis. And so in our, in our own world, we've picked up different lies about marriage and divorce, and we keep putting them in our bucket. You hear things like, oh, we just grew apart. Oh, I just, you know, I didn't attract, I, she wasn't attractive anymore to me. If we, if we divorce and we're living apart, the kids won't hear us fight anymore. We hear these, these lies about marriage doesn't really matter. Everybody gets a starter marriage. People weren't designed to be monogamous. And then on the flip side, we have these lies about marriage. Marriage is the highest calling for a disciple. To be a good wife is the best thing you should ever hope to be. To be a good husband is the best thing you should ever hope to be. You are not complete until you get married. Single people are second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. And we gather up these lies, and we may say, I wasn't unfaithful, or we may say, I want to honor my vows, or we may say, the first priority for me is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Or we're walking around with a bucket of rocks. And it gets heavy. And anytime we enter in an intimate relationship and our practice is to keep collecting the rocks, we bring them into that intimate relationship with a friend, perhaps with an eventual spouse, with someone in authority. We keep bringing the bucket of rocks. But we say, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't commit adultery. And in this passage of scripture, Jesus comes to us and he says, come here. Give me the rocks. He says, when you're in a disagreement with somebody, 
reconcile with them. And so you forgive the coach and the fourth grade teacher and the kindergarten teacher and that professor and your roommate and your mom. And before you come to Loft, you spend some time thinking about your life. Is there anybody that you've hurt this week who needs an apology? Is there anybody in your life that you need to be reconciled with? Jesus says, all the rocks. And as you're thinking about lust in your life, or when you're thinking about anger, any moment you have when you think it's not that big a deal, that's something to look at more closely. That's something to bring to the foot of cross. If your right hand causes you to sin, he doesn't say smack it, he says cut it off. If you need to change your Sports Illustrated subscription so you don't get that issue, change it. If you need to go to triplexchurch.com and download their accountability software so that you and another person hold each other accountable to not look at porn, you do it. If it means you go through your floor and you talk to the other women, you talk to the other men about what they're displaying on their walls and invite each other into deeper accountability around matters of sexuality and lust, you do it. You do it. You do it. And when it comes to lies about marriage, you do it. I was talking with someone this week who was imagining life as a senior, and he heard about a friend who took a job on the other side of the country, and he said to me, you know, that's an instance where I think, man, something like that would be a whole lot easier if I had a spouse. And I said, let's talk more about that. Because what I hear from you is that you're attaching a lot of significance on the fact that you would have comfort in having this person right with you. But what if you get there across the country and it rains all the time and she can't find a job and she's really depressed and you love what you're doing and she's just not settled? Then you know what you're going to find out? You put your comfort in the wrong thing. Because I believe fully that if God's calling you to do something, he's going to provide a community there for you to do it. And your comfort has to be in him and not in somebody that you can grab by spring to take along with you. So these lies that we have about marriage, about who women are supposed to be and who men are supposed to be, God just says, Jesus says, just let me, let me have the rocks. Let me have the rocks. Give me all the lies. Give me all the things you hide behind. Give them to me. Bring them to the foot of the cross. Scholars talk about imputed Righteousness. Imputed is a big word. That means Christ's righteousness is given to us. It flows over us. It comes over us like we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. We are imputed with Christ's righteousness. And so we take the stuff, the rocks that we've accumulated around anger and lust and marriage and divorce, and we bring them to the foot of the cross, and we see there the righteousness of Jesus Christ and his blood that was shed for us, and it is the blood that covers our sins. 
And we are so righteous that our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Not because of what our hands have done, but because of what Christ has done for us. And once we put down the rocks, our hands are free. Our hands are free to reach out into healthy, intimate relationships with other people. Our hands are free to say, I apologize to you. Our hands are free to say, I forgive you. Our hands are free to say, I am letting go of my anger and I'm starting something fresh with open hands that are no longer clenched to my old anger. Our hands are free to bless each other in intimate relationships and have healthy, good physicality, healthy, good sexuality. The scribes point out, the the commentators point out that in this passage, Jesus is blessing human sexuality. He's saying it is a good and beautiful thing. And if our hands are open, we can bless, we can touch, we can be intimate, and we're not worried about collecting things for our own self and becoming all bottled up. When our hands are free and open, we are open to the will of God in our lives. We are open to whether he calls us to marriage or singlehood. We are actually, really, legitimately open. Really. When Jesus takes the lies out of our hands and washes us clean in his blood, we can actually say things like, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Jesus. When our hands are open and unencumbered, we can take what Jesus gives, which is his body and his blood, broken and spilled for us, so that our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, and we can't wait to show it off. Because like a new coat, Christ has clothed us in his righteousness and we are free. We are free. We are free. This is what he means when he says, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The law is no longer a guillotine over our heads just waiting to chop us up but instead it is a red carpet rolled under our feet, welcoming us home to the one who fulfilled it all. Will you pray with me? Our God, we thank you that you want better lives for us than a life in which we are walking around carrying a bucket of rocks. You want us to be free and unencumbered. You want us to stop worrying about the letter of the law and instead live with the spirit of the law, with righteousness that you have imputed to us, and therefore we are able to live as righteous people. And so as we come to this table, O Lord, we pray, remind us that we are yours. Remind us that we are new in Christ and pry our hands open to take out the rocks and set us free. Amen.